This episode of Skirmish Supremacy is brought to you again by Death Ray Designs and Black Sight X, their Kickstarter that is on right now. As of today, it is 310. There is three days left. They are just shy of 25,000. They have already funded, but every little bit that you can give them will help. Anything at all that you can uh, put in there, they're going to be unlocking some new stretch goals soon. And then after this is done, they will be selling into uh, your local retail store and in distribution. So you can find them after this is all said and done. Again, you can check out their website at deathraydesigns.com. Otherwise, go to Kickstarter and type in Black Sight X to see what they've got going on for you right now. All their new hotness it will be up. And I, I can tell you personally, there are a couple of new kits that will be coming out very, very soon. Can't tell you what they are. That's my little secret. You'll just have to wait, damn it. Don't take your top off. Oh, too bad. That's that. My top's coming off. All right, and on that note, everybody, we are live. We are here again. Uh, Nick, my wonderful co-host, is joining me. Today we're actually using uh, Google Hangouts. We're going to see how this works compared to the uh, Skype that we've been using in the past. And today we are here with Sean Sutter of Metal King Studios. He actually has a game out on Kickstarter right now that is successfully funded called Relic Blade. Uh, Sean... You have done illustration and things of that in the past, so what brought you into designing Relic Blade? Well, uh, so like you said, I, I'm an illustrator. I, I draw comic books for a living, but um, man, like I've been into tabletop games and specifically miniatures games all along and probably been more excited about miniatures games than I was ever excited about comics. Uh, but... I wasn't crazy about the idea of moving to England to try and get this pipe dream job with Games Workshop because when I was a kid, that was it. Like, if you wanted to work in miniatures, you could work for Games Workshop or be the Perry Brothers, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, I don't know. It occurred to me, like, back in 2010 that it, it might be possible to do it on my own. And so since then, I've just been working really, really hard on the requisite skills needed. So... Um, yeah, I went back to school and um, I got my degree in fine art and tried to become a better artist, tried to do all that stuff, and then learned, taught myself sculpting, and I've been avidly eating games so that I could make a game. And so, like, that was it. I just decided that because I'm crazy about miniatures games, I might as well be making miniatures games. Nice. Well, it's a good transition. So... You you went back to school to learn sculpting. So are you handling 100% of everything that's going on in this project, the illustration, the rules, sculpting? You're handling it all? Yeah, yeah, I did. I'm, I'm doing everything. Uh, and it sounds weird. It's not really like... Like, I, it sounds like something you would say to brag, but that's not the reason I do everything. I was going <laughs> to... The reason I do everything is because, like, like I love every part of it. You know, I like I love drawing and I love sculpting and I love making games and writing rules and getting people together to play. And so um, it's pretty natural for me to do all that stuff. 
if I do hire someone, it'll definitely, or partner with someone, it'll definitely be for marketing and distribution because it turns out maybe I need help with that. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm really crazy about it. And I actually got my degree in 2D art and then um, taught myself sculpting after I had graduated. And so um, I'm all self-taught on ZBrush. Oh, wow. So this is just sheer grit for you. It's not so much like a, a, a fine art. Well, you had fine art training, but you didn't really have like a sculpting background to know how to do it. So you're just like, screw it, I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. I um, Because I had imagined that I would end up doing illustration and character design for a game and then hire out sculptors. Because, um, I mean, that's a natural structure, a normal structure. But... Uh, you know, I didn't have a bunch of money, and I felt funny about the way. Like, I don't want. I didn't want to go to Kickstarter asking for money for concept art. I wanted to have sculpts and stuff, so I decided to just try. And I feel like once I got into ZBrush, I realized that all along, through all of my art discipline, I've thought about what I'm creating in three dimensions, and then translated it into two dimensions. So anytime I'm drawing, I imagine a three-dimensional character and then translate it into a two-dimensional drawing. So when I started sculpting, uh, the technical skills and like learning that was one thing, but, uh, but as far as the art end, like, man, I stopped having to translate. I could just like put my imagination directly into the computer. And, it, man, it's a dream come true. It's the best. Uh, like fulfillment of my imagination and art to be able to make a 3D thing that's exactly as I imagined it. Yeah, that's got to be something cool, especially coming from a, a 2D background and just take it that next step and go right into the, you know, you're, you're holding a version of something that you normally would have just drawn in your hands. Yeah. So I could see that. Yeah, and like, yeah, 2D thing is always going to be a little ambiguous. Um, but holding the 3D model and like actually handling it, like once I got the first, like, like solid cast of my first model. I was like, oh, man, this is so great. Like, it's really here. It's really 3D, and, like, like painting it and all that stuff is a dream come true for sure. That's when you're like, I made it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Relic Blade? Oh, so um, Relic Blade is a uh, small scale, like, it's it's 30 millimeter, but it's, you only use a few models. So it's a small skirmish tabletop game. And it's kind of a hybrid between D&D and X-Wing, maybe, I guess would be a good way to describe it, where you can control a party of heroes and you use character cards and upgrades to customize them and specialize them. And then another player commands a party of monsters and they also use character cards and upgrades. So there's a parity in points, and then you fight over an unidentified magic item. So you set up the scenario around an item that everyone was drawn to this spot to fight over, but they don't know what it is. So the first character to claim it draws a card from a deck and gets that magic item, and it's a super powerful upgrade. So... um, so yeah, it's like really dynamic, and I wanted to really focus on capturing uh, all of the excitement and feeling of like being in command and control of your character of an RPG, 
you know, like when you play D&D, you feel like you're really responsible for what the barbarian is doing. I don't know. Like, I feel like you're in control of things more when you play that. And in a war game, you're a commander, like sending armies out to do things. So I wanted to meet in the middle where you'd be a commander and that you'd have a whole party of heroes. Um, but you'd be able to really control how the characters are behaving. So there's an action dice system where you get a certain number of dice you can use. And, um, and so an attack that takes one die uh, will have a difficulty value, and you can add extra dice from your pool to make it more likely you'll succeed or spend those dice for movement. So it's really dynamic and fluid. And you feel like you, you get stuck in these situations where you really have to think about how you want to use your activations and in what order to really get the best uh, results. And so it's really a lot of fun, uh, super dynamic. And, and yeah, I mean, it also, at its core, was designed to remove a lot of the barriers that people face when they're thinking about getting into miniatures games. Because, um, as you guys know, the games can be really too expensive for to be friendly for players. Yeah. Uh, the games can take too long to be friendly. It's like most, most adults can't spend eight hours playing a game. Um, and, and you need a giant area too. So, I mean, I live in an apartment, so having a, a six foot by four foot table is like, is kind of an issue. So, or, you know, taking up a whole garage for it. So I wanted to address those things to invite people to get into table miniatures by having small armies. So you can you can paint up three to five characters and have a full-size army. Um, the play area is only two by two, so you can really manage that on any table. Um, and the games only last between a half hour and 45 minutes. And I've been saying 45 minutes because, like, Sure, like sometimes things get longer, but if you watch like battle reports on YouTube, you'll see that the whole thing with intro and people post game talking about the game, like playtime's about thirty minutes, you know, thirty-seven minutes I think is probably the average. So uh, the games are really quick, and you get to have like a really exciting, uh, dangerous encounter adventure battle uh, in a short amount of time with your friends that that you didn't have to get out like a whole carrying case of miniatures to play and you didn't have to plan for, oh, you know, when you didn't have to get out a schedule book and, and figure out what weekend you were going to plan and dedicate to wargaming. So uh, those, those elements about it really, I think, make it a unique and uh, excellent miniatures game. Cool. So you decided to make it more compact and quicker playing so that way uh, it, you, you can move through it faster. So, you know, you were saying that it, you're controlling a party, so is it kind of your typical, like, D&D adventuring party, like four to five miniatures per side? The, the, the bad guys might have a couple more based upon what they're playing. Does yeah. that sound about right? Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, certainly. And, and right now the game is, um, is more of a, like, deathmatch. So there isn't a campaign structure where you use your party and gain experience and stuff. It's more, uh, like, thematically about the moment where these heroes are meeting their fate. You know, this is, this is the climax battle 
where where the knight that's been gone through who knows what to get here is finally going to get crushed and eaten by a monster. You know, like in D&D, characters operate under this pretense where like plot keeps them alive to a degree. Um, like, you know, it sort of sucks to have die. And so there's a little bit of a safety net there. In this, like, heroes have no safety net. Like, they will get their face gored off and that's it. Like... So I don't know. It's a, it's a lot of fast, exciting games, but um, yeah, the the heroes, depending on how you do upgrades, will probably be between three and four characters. Okay. And the bad guys, depending on upgrades, will be between five and six. But that's just with the current builds. There will be larger monsters that will take higher points costs, and you'll be able to really tailor what kind of like super dangerous encounter you want to. Uh, play out and have fun with. So there's a point structure, but at the same time, you're almost kind of entering a verbal contract with your opponent to say, like, look, you know, we're playing, you know, 100 points. I don't know what your point structure is at this point. No, but, it you know, is it's, it's, uh, balanced at 100 points. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm psychic, apparently. No, but uh, so you could, you almost have like that verbal contract with your opponent where that your opponent might bring to the table, like, a hundred point dragon where it's like, I'm just going to play this giant dragon. Do your best to live. Yeah. Yeah. That theoretic in the future, when a dragon comes out, that will be the case. Okay, um, cool. I'll probably build it more around a scenario at that point where it will be like, yeah, like have a real cool boss fight mission type. But, um, but yeah, that's the idea that, that, if it were D&D, the DM would be like, oh, I'm going to put together a deadly encounter where the heroes will probably die, right? Right. Um, And the heroes are like, well, I'm going to take this spell, I'm going to prepare this spell for the day, and I'm going to buy two health potions, and I'm going to go in, and oh, and I'm going to hire a a thief to come with me, you know? And so you you use your points that way to try and maximize the way you're fighting. But really, the, the bad guys tend to... Uh, tactically work a little bit more like an army, so you'll get more of a, f- a feel of playing a, a miniatures war game. Whereas when you're playing as the heroes, it's going to have more of the feel of a like tank DPS healer trying to stay alive against overwhelming odds. So uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool, and I think it worked really well. Um, now that the game is done, when I get to play it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is exactly this is exactly what I set out to make. This is so great. So. Right. So, speaking speaking of the hero side of things, you were uh-huh. mentioning how like you want it to be like your classic D and D party. So, if people are playing the game, do they have to have the tank? Do they have to have the healer? Do they have to have the DPS? Or can they go like three tanks and a healer, or a combination in between? Right, so uh, right now, the uh, characters that exist for the heroes are a questing knight, um, and so he could be specced a tank or DPS. Okay. And there is a cleric that can spec healer or DPS, and there's that can be um, specced as DPS uh, bear, because she has the bear form, DPS caster, or as a healer. Okay. So right now I I was careful to make sure. Oh, and the knight also can take 
plenty of potions too. So he can be pouring potions on himself the whole time. But um, I was careful to make sure that I wasn't uh, sticking, like cornering people and being like, well, there's, there's a priestess and there's a fighter and there's, or, you know, and a, a armored dwarf, you know, trying to make sure that instead I had three hybrid classes to start with. Okay. So that players would really get to play with how they how they do their builds and specializations. In the future, I bet there will be characters that will be really, I mean, they'll be DPS or they'll be a, a tank. Um, but right now, everyone's a hybrid, basically. Cool. So they they, they still kind of have that classic feeling of like you know the fighter is the dude with the sword. But you can build him a couple of different ways to customize how he plays. But he's still yeah, a dude in the yeah. sword. With the knight in particular, there are three tactics I think he can take. And um, one of them is more defensive. One of them is more makes him more of a leader. And then one of them makes him just have like another attack that makes him more of a fighter. And so, uh, so you can really... Yeah, specialize your knights that way. And, I mean, a three-knight party build is super powerful because, I mean, they're knights, you know? <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, I haven't had a chance to really look at the rules too much yet. Um, it's just my week has been crazy. Uh, but, oh, uh, yeah, trust me, I know. I, I, like, I shouldn't even sleep. I've got enough to do. Yeah, well, I did see that uh, you have successfully funded and blown your funding a, a good portion out of the water for basically being a one-man project, so kudos on that. Um, but uh, so t t tell us a little bit about the rules. Like, How did how did you go about designing the game? How did the, the rules come into play? Well, um, I was trying to figure out the best way to make playing a game with only three models extremely fun. You know, so, like, really trying to figure out the right balance of detail versus, uh, war, like, war game playability. Sure. So, um, so obviously, if every character had character sheets like a D&D &D thing, it, like, it would be too confusing to keep track of, like, four full character sheets. But if they have simple stat lines then it's not going to engage your imagination. You know, like, maybe if you're putting a lot of thought into it, you'll be like, oh, weapon skill five guy. Well, like, man, he's been training really hard. So so I wanted to make make a good balance there. So I made character sheets into character cards uh, with the stats and then um, was made sure that each character had plenty of unique abilities that they can do. Um, but... The action point system with the action dice, uh, I forget, I just, uh, you know, I guess the origins of it might go back to with War Machine, you know how Warcasters, I don't know if you played War Machine, Quite Warcasters amazing. start with a certain amount of focus, and then they spend that focus, like mana, to perform some of their spells, but they can't cast all their spells with it usually. Um, and so I kind of, I really liked that. I was like, man, this is really fun. I love playing as a Warcaster. Why, why isn't everyone a Warcaster? So I, uh, yeah, so I made action dice where actions that take longer require more dice. Actions that are more difficult require a higher value on the dice. And each time you move, you expend a die. So, um, 
So a character can, with four action dice, so an average human has four actions, uh, and it's speed three. So that means if you spend all of your dice to move, you can move 12 inches. If you um, do all your attacks, you can focus on them, use more dice to try and make sure you hit, and all of that stuff. But, I mean, as a game designer, it really came down to putting forth an idea and then finding out what was wrong with it and then answering those questions and then answering those questions and finding out what was wrong and, like, what loopholes were there and trying to answer those questions. And so I think the, the rule set I made is really quite uh, simple but really robust. So uh, it's based on time, actions take time and they're difficult. So walking is not difficult, but it takes time, so you spend a die on it. Um, doing a complex, powerful attack or like a, like a big nuke spell, that can take almost all of your dice and be quite difficult. So um, on that principle, I was able to make a, a really interesting uh, core to the game mechanics. And then each character, I get to write new rules on each of their cards and get to like expand and imagine and interpret those abilities within that context. So it's really super fun. Cool. So using the dice in that way, I see where that would make a lot of sense. That way you don't just have like somebody walking around like four actions basically slinging grenades everywhere around the board. Yeah, and so it also means that uh, a knight that didn't have to run across the battlefield to go and fight the pigs, if he's already in combat, he has all four of his dice to spend on high-value attacks. So it changes that shift where, in some games, if you're already engaged, you lose movement. Like, you just don't move. You, you go straight to assault. Right. And, uh, but that never made sense to me. I was like, man, running takes time. Isn't each round amount, an amount of time? So maybe that was my, like, RPG, playing RPGs as a kid, where I was like, each round is six seconds, and what you can do in six seconds is how many actions you get. Like, so on that idea, I was like, wow, a knight that didn't run across a field is going to be able to do a lot of great stuff with a longsword. Um, yeah. But I also designed it so that you can only do each action once. So that doesn't mean he gets four high-value attacks. It means that he has to carefully choose how he's going to use the attacks and how he's going to spend his dice to boost those attacks. Gotcha. So he, he could... I, I guess, for lack of better terms, he can focus with the dice, so he could roll two dice on an attack if he... he yeah, really yeah, it, it's, uh, that's actually the rule. You guessed it again. It's a, it, The rule is called focus, <laughs> and that's where you add an extra die to the attack. Well, apparently and that's an really action, so you can only do it once. But, um, but yeah, that's how it would work. Like a high-value attack that's like really strong, you would add a third die or a second die to the attempt and uh, spend most of your activation really waiting for the opening and then striking with it. Cool. And it won't make it do more damage, but it's more likely that it'll hit. So you can skew the hit stats, but the damage stats are um, more set. Right, or you could just throw caution to the wind and just roll all four dice on attack and hope you roll really well. Right, so um, that, that would be like... You will often have the chance to make more attacks, but less likely that they'll hit. So you'll be able to try try, try to get a bunch of four-ups because that's what you need to win the game. Otherwise, you can roll two dice and try and get four better on two dice, which is like a you know 90% likelihood. Right. So. You have a much better chance mm -hmm. at that point. 
Awesome. So you were you were saying that right now the game itself isn't so much built around scenarios. It's about grabbing the relic mm-hmm. or grabbing the magical item on the board. Yeah. So how how would people go about making the game experience different every time? Does it really come down to like how terrain is used, how the models are used? Yeah, both of those things. And I mean that's that's how I mean when I start coming out with campaign supplements and uh, releasing scenarios, uh, that's probably a lot of the main structure will be about how the terrain is set up, where the relic is hidden, how you get the relic, how many relics there are, um, and other types of objectives that are on the board. Um, But, man, like, terrain can really mess with stuff. Making the relic harder to get to really changes the dynamic. Because you only have a few characters, if, if you don't have open spaces for everyone to just go and fight a fair fight, um, like, yeah, think, think D&D. Like, man, one awesome Viking standing in a doorway and waiting for characters to come in one at a time is going to be way stronger than one Viking against ten orcs. So. Right. Yeah, because... So with with the pig warriors, uh, from what you were saying, they activate a little bit more like your typical unit. Um, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I, I, I kind of gathered where you're going with the heroes, because that makes sense. Thinking of it yeah. as more yeah. of like the D&D term and kind of like what they did with Chainmail, I, I, I get that. But you were saying that the pigs in particular activate more like your typical war. Yeah, so, so part of that is um, the character classes for the pigs are based on what equipment they've been given. So a soldier pig runs around with a halberd, and that's going to be your highest value attack. But it's pretty difficult, so you've got to get him in position. He's not going to really be charging with the halberd, but once he's in position, he can really crack armor and destroy guys. Um, The shield pig is armed with a shield, naturally, and he's going to be able to take a tactic called shield wall, and that's where he can protect allies next to him. Okay. So if you get multiple shield pigs next to each other, all shield walling, then they get up to really high armor, and they'll be really defensive. <clears throat> and then, equally, you can have halberdiers behind them. Right? So you can play them in formation, and they'll be way more uh, viable and way way stronger. And so as you work out, work out those tactics and those kinds of synergies that are built into the faction... Um, you'll hopefully be able to get an upper hand on characters that are naturally better. You know, a knight is naturally a better fighter than a pig that's been granted a sword by a dark lord. Um, Right. So what it comes down to is... A bunch of pigs working together is going to be able to do it. Okay. Yeah, so I guess that was my next question. So what it comes down to is, is like, just kind of like D&D, again, bringing it up because it's the, Mm -hmm. the closest comparison... Sure. Like a, a and, and most people should have played D&D by now. Yeah, so. I'd certainly hope so. <laughs> but, so, your, your questing knight, for example, if we were to look at him as, like, a first-level fighter, he's going to uh-huh. look at an orc and be like, hey, you know what? Fuck this guy, and he's just going to kill it. Like, and it's going to be the same thing in your game, where if the questing knight runs up on a typical soldier pig just one-on-one, the questing knight's just going to cut him in half. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, like, it's not guaranteed, but the knight has castle-forged weapons, castle-forged armor, martial training, where he's mostly going to tear up a pig. But 
a pig can also charge farther than him and hit him really hard with his tusk and rip off his face with a lucky hit. So, like, you shouldn't treat pigs lightly, but it is balanced more where two pigs is going to be balanced against one knight. Okay. So, and, and then on top of that, the way the pigs uh, use their, or support one another, is going to make them even more viable against the knight. So, yeah, I, the, um, the, like, intro game, the, there's a, um, for, especially for any listeners that are interested in, about the game mechanics, on relicblade.com you can get a quick start guide. And the quick start guide is an encounter between one knight and two pigs. And it's a shield pig and a soldier pig with a halberd. So uh, you'll really get a good idea of that. And I play that game a lot. You know, It's a really good intro demo game when I'm showing people the game mechanics. And I've seen it go so many different ways. Like, uh, I've seen it go, yeah, it's, it's a great fight, um, even though you're only using three models. So it really helps show off all the mechanics to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you were saying that the with the different ways that you can outfit models, so do you have, like, I, I, I saw that you have, like, a deck of cards that goes with it. So yeah. do you have, like, a certain limit of cards that you can use when you're designing your force? Or do you yeah, just kind of... Um, each character has an inventory... Um, and that inventory has a selection of icons. And so you can take, uh, there are, the different upgrade types are a tactic, a weapon, a potion, an item, and a prepared spell. Okay. So um, so the knight, for example, can take tactics and weapons, uh, an item, two potions, I think is his, his uh, limit. So that means that as you're working through your point value, you can choose what upgrades you'll want to take for him. But the thing is, with only 100 points to choose from, you really have to choose whether that magic weapon that costs four points is really the right choice. Right. It's probably the right choice. It's a magic sword. But, I mean, if you don't have four points to spend on it, it's like a slight skew in stats. So there might be better ways to spend your points. Right. So, okay. So that I guess that answers the question that I had next on that then. So everything in the game you're not getting just, like, freebie upgrades. Everything costs points towards your 100 points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, the, the only card that is different than costing points is you can take a weapon away from a pig and give him a stick, and that'll make him cheaper. Yeah. All right, so, so just pigs run around with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a nice way to, like, with a shield pig, it's a nice way to take away his weapon. Uh, give him a cheap weapon, and then you get basically a free tactic with that. Because it's a minus two points for the giving him a cudgel instead of his sword, and then uh, the shield wall tactic costs two points. So you can get, like, free shield wall if you take away his sword. Okay, excellent. So mm-hmm. even with your, your typical pig soldiers, there's some customization there to, you know, yeah. say, okay, my shield wall pig is going to be slightly different. So they're still having yeah. that RPG. Uh, all pig. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and the thing, like, I think when people first hear about the game, they either think of it as hero quest, and they're like, well, are you going to do, like, full scenarios and d- dungeon crawling? Is it a dungeon crawling game? It's like, well, no, it's not really a dungeon crawling game. And then... uh or they'll hear about it and say, well, like, who would want to play as the dungeon? Like, no one wants to be the dungeon. Everyone wants to be heroes. But once 
once I sit down with people, they almost always choose to play as an army of pigs. You know, like, or depending on, I mean, depending on the person's personality, but playing as the pigs is a ton of fun. Like, they're so crazy, and they've got, like, lots of great options. And, like, you can choose health potions or hand grenade potions that explode in fire, and, like, that's a ton of fun. Uh, you definitely aren't playing, get drawing the short stick if you choose to play with the monsters. Awesome. So i got to ask you this just because of the fact that you've got pigs in the game that could take fire bombs. Can they drop it on themselves and turn themselves into bacon? Ah, well, like, strictly speaking, I don't know if you can target yourself, but you could definitely hit someone that's standing close enough to you that you will catch on fire. And right, you I'm can just... also accidentally drop it and catch yourself on fire if you roll right. one. So. I'm just saying, I think that should be a rule, you know, just straight yeah, up bacon. bacon. Strictly speaking, like, a bacon upgrade. They can, they do eat each other if it comes to it, so. You oh, see, out. there you go. You're just, you're just helping the process. Yeah. Adding some flavor. Nice, nice. How many models do you have right now total um, available? Since this is a solo project, I mean, I can't imagine that you've been, like, sculpting 40 models for this thing. Right. Um, right now, the core game comes with uh, 11 figures. Okay. With the Kickstarter, I was able to add two more figures to the core game. So right now it's at 13, I guess. Um, nice. There are four hero classes. The cleric has a spirit weapon that comes with her, and that's modeled. It's a, it's a miniature that comes with her. And the druid can transform into a cave bear, and so she has a large cave bear miniature that comes with her. Okay. Um, and then the pigs, there are three different body types, and then uh, just a slew of weapon options. So you kind of choose your pose and then equip them according to what card or character class you want them to be. Nice. Now, are they uh, resin or metal? Metal. White metal, yeah. Okay, cool. A, a good old-fashioned metal miniatures. Nice, nice. So with the pigs, they can, you know, everybody out there, they try stretching the hobby a little bit more. I So with the pigs, it should be fairly easy to magnetize them if you wanted to swap weapons yeah. between games and all that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they have a a hole that actually fits a specific size magnet in their wrist, so it should be really uh, a pretty quick swap if you're used to magnets. I personally am not crazy about magnets. You guys should just buy like you know, just buy like thirty pigs. It'll be fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody. Yeah, yeah. Forget magnets. Support a local like yeah. Support independent artists. Yeah, even though he specifically put magnet holes in the wrist, but, you know, we didn't hear that part of the device. Yeah, yeah, even though I love you guys, then I'll put magnet holes in the wrist. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So it sounds like you, you've, I mean, I, I'm impressed by the fact that you have taken this project 100% on yourself with the sculpting, the illustration, the rules. You've kind of said, screw it, I don't need a team, I'm going to do this my damn self. And well, you have, like... <laughs> I mean, I I appreciate the compliment, but it's not that I wouldn't work with a team or don't like working with a team. Like, I love a team, but I needed to do this game full-time. Like, it's not going to happen sure. on weekends. Um, like, that's a hard truth. You've got to qu quit a job and take the insane risk of trying to make a game. And, uh, and I spent a long time trying to convince my friends to jump in with me. Uh, but... 
they had jobs. They needed, you know, they need health insurance. Like, so uh, I ended up having to do it on my own. But the thing is that I love everything about the game because I got to make it exactly to my taste. And and you end up with an unfiltered game where there wasn't an art director or, like, an intellectual properties manager that was coming in and saying, like, oh, hey, you can't do that, or oh, no, like, no one's going to want to buy a dragon cleric. Make it a, make it more of, like, a traditional priest-looking character, you know? Like, no one was telling me that, so I got to just follow my dreams and hopes and, and follow my heart, and it made a game that is distinctly Sean Sutter flavor. Like, you don't, you don't have to buy a game that is a Games Workshop game or a Privateer Press game where it has, like, a strict flavor that it has to be. So, right. I, I mean... I would. I want friends. I want coworkers. I would love that. Um, but I do like. It's crazy to make your own game, and so I had to do it on my own if it was going to happen. Oh yeah, I totally understand it. I mean, that that right there, just uh, knowing from my background what it takes to to do everything that you've done. Yeah, you you would have to quit a full time job and just focus on nothing but that to make it happen. So yeah. that's a pretty ballsy move. I mean, <laughs> yeah. especially with the, the way that miniatures are nowadays. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed it. And I, I know I've talked about it numerous times off podcast. I, I, I may have mentioned it a few times on here. But, like, game stores, especially nowadays, unless they know of your product and have had people asking them for your product, you, you it's a struggle in miniatures nowadays. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in a culture of, like, everybody wants it right now. That's the reason why, you know, if X-Wing didn't have Star Wars behind it, would it sell? No. I, I don't think nearly that's as well. That's the thing. Like, X-Wing is, X-Wing is an extremely fun game. Um, but it's also true that it rests on the fact that it's Star Wars in a lot of ways. Because, like, who can wait... Who can wait to only get like two new ships a year or something? Like, right. Like the release schedule is crazy. I mean, I appreciate it, but yeah, but you know, especially with X-wing, the reason why it took off so quick, is, as quick as it did, is because of the fact that you know, you buy the starter set and you open the box and you're playing. You know, there's no <laughs> painting, there's no assembling, there's. You might have, you know, the only assembling, if you want to call it that, is figuring out what ships you're going to put in for points and. Pilots and co-pilots, and past that, you're you're good to go. It, it, it's not your traditional. And, I mean, full hobby. Like I'd be lying if I if I said that X-wing wasn't didn't influence my game structure because, like, I mean, man, I think it's so great that someone can own three X-wings and play with their friends and never need to buy more. And I know that you're gonna want to buy more. And so right. I think Games Workshop has been like so interested in making sure you have to buy three boxes, four boxes of spearmen to make a unit of real spearmen and that you're going to be $2,000 in before you're even playing an actual game of Warhammer. Um, but X-Wing didn't start that way. They were like, for 25 bucks if you buy it on Amazon, you have a two-player game that you're going to be able to play for a week and have a ton of fun with. And I know that you're going to come back and buy a B-Wing. Like, yeah. you're going to come back. And on top of that, people, even though the game is technically extremely cheap compared to Warhammer, people just buy a ton of everything. 
And so I kind of thought, like, man, if I'm if I'm a one-man studio, and I can only make so many models, uh, I can only afford to produce so many models, you know, uh, I should make a game like that where people are playing and having fun right out of the box, and then I trust that I made a game good enough that when I come out with a new character, they're going to want it, and they're going to want it, you know, right away, they're going to want it. And so I really think I made that where you, sure, you have enough models for your whole party of heroes right out of the box. But, man, when I come out with a new ranger, you're going to want it because it's good and it's a ton of fun. And I can trust you that you're going to believe in the game and be excited about a new character. So. All Nick, right, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, All right. Sorry, there's been some odd issues all night with me, though. Oh, yeah. Sorry, buddy. Well, it sucks to be you, then. I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. We, we can edit this shit. No big deal. I don't care. Um, so anyways, yeah, as, as you were saying, like you, you want to make sure that people are, are having fun with your stuff. And when you just... Yeah. Um... Apparently he uh, decided to go away again. I don't know. I don't know if it was his choice. When he got dragged <laughs> by the internet. Yeah. So I, I've seen the uh, Ashes Let's Play, and oh yeah, Good. And, and all that, and um, I've actually backed, and I'm I'm a little stoked. I'm wishing your Kickstarter would end sooner so that you'd send me stuff. I know that's the that's the problem. It and it's really because we're gonna have an awesome party at a brewery. Like that's the behind the scenes truth is that if you were local to Sacramento, you get to come out and play Relic Blade and drink branded beer. So, well, damn it! I think you should still send me my stuff soon. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm looking forward to being able to order that stuff and get it out. Because uh, I, I want to. I want to add tokens because tokens are like a key part to the game, but it's definitely gonna like delay shipping a little bit, not beyond the date I set. But like ordering stuff from China is always a little bit iffy. Right. So is that where you're getting everything produced is in China? No, only that one component. Everything else is in the USA. Nice. So you're actually having tokens made. Uh, it would. I I want to make a. Uh, uh, what's it called? You know the cardboard stuff that you get in board games. They pop out. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna get a set of that so that it it'll fit right into the game box, and then you can pop it out and pop out a measuring gauge so you can have a, like a good measuring device right out of the box. Okay. And then all of the tokens you need. Yeah, you mentioned that. that way, uh, I mean... You, you mentioned some of those things in your update the other day. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. been part of my like dream for it for a while, but sourcing that stuff and having to go to China was had me on the fence on whether I wanted to do it. And I mean, it's a thousand bucks that maybe I don't have to spend, but at this point, I'm I'm sure it will be good. Yeah, um, that, that's one of the things that, you know, I like about X-Wing is that it comes with 
really more than you need for the game. Um, yeah, tons of com- and even Infinity comes with a bunch of stuff, you know, right there for you to use. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. Like, Relic Blade is so friendly to players that are new to tabletop games that I end up selling the game to people that don't even own dice. So, um, you know, a, a game that's appealing to people that don't have dice and don't have good, like, measuring stuff for tabletop games, like, I should include those components. And I, I think it'll be really good. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, and that, and that makes the difference because, you know, if it's, if it's a full game in a box, then, then you're, you're going to be a whole lot better off. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just as a consumer, I know, uh, me and, uh, some of the people I know in Florida when I'm, when I'm back that way, because I recently moved here to Georgia, but, um, mm-hmm we used to get together on uh, Saturday nights and whatnot, and we'd play, we'd play different games and, you know, X-Wing was the popular one that we'd play. Because it was, it was just, you know, it's a game in a box. You know, there's granted, I've bought plenty of X-Wing stuff, but you know, you don't, but it's also, I mean, that game has a lot going for it, but so, that's, I mean, know, that's part of it. I want people well, to be I mean, able to buy the game and only need super glue. And it knife. is, um, <clears throat> you can also look at, uh, some of the other games that are coming out, uh, Turtles and mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, um, you know, which are entire games in a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and that's part of it. Like, I mean, if I were going to compare my product to Super Dungeon Explorer, like you don't get as much as you would get with that. Um, you don't get like a thousand miniatures and a thousand tokens and a thousand cards. Like, I can't afford to make that. Um, but Relic Blade is a specifically like an old-fashioned miniatures game where you're getting white metal models and the hobby is painting, the hobby is making terrain, the fun is playing with your friends. Uh, And so I think that's a different dynamic with those big box games where you get it and, yeah, sure, you could paint your Super Dungeon Explore stuff, but, like, why would you? Because there's a million parts. So uh, I definitely want Relic Blade to be a miniatures game. Um, but I also want it to be friendly enough that anyone can grab it and start playing it. So. And unfortunately, our podcast was cut short. We ended up losing internet connection over here in the uh, Woodstock, Georgia area. Thanks for that, Comcast, you bunch of pricks. But anyway, uh, Sean was a fantastic guy to talk to. Uh, we definitely look forward to having him on the show at a later date. So again, you can still check out his Kickstarter. As of today, it is uh, March 10th. It's still got nine days to go. It's already funded. Um, it's going strong. Definitely go on Kickstarter. Check it out. All you got to do is go on the Kickstarter and type in Relic Blade. It is uh, located on there under the title Relic Blade Adventure Battle Game. Uh, check it out there. I believe he's got the rules up there to download. If not, uh, just listen to the damn episode. I know he mentioned it at one point. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, sometimes shit like this happens. So stay tuned for the next episode, and again, thanks for listening.